When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men, who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Welcome. To Acts, the ministry of Jesus continues our verse-by-verse -verse journey. Our videos produced by the International Bible Society. It ends with verse 10, but I would like to read the next six verses there, seven verses. Verse 11 of Acts 17, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. We just saw dramatized they were ministering the word in Thessalonica. Of the area of the world now known as Greece, and got ran out of town. So they go to Berea, and these people were more fair-minded in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In Thessalonica, for three weeks, Paul attempted to minister the word before anyone became a believer, and it was just three Sabbath days that he did it. Here, Daily, they're searching the scriptures to see if the things he's preaching is so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted... Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and wanted to hear more from him on the resurrection of the dead and, and on the gospel. I would like to look a little more closely to verse 2. Paul, as his custom was in Thessalonica, Greece, went in for three Sabbaths into the synagogue of the Jews, reasoned with them from the scriptures, 
explaining and demonstrating that the Christ or the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So for three weeks, he proclaimed Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures, verses like Psalm 22, which is pretty descriptive of what it's like to go through a crucifixion, uh, verses uh, like Isaiah 53, and then the Christmas verses last Sunday, we heard proclaimed Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a a son is given. And so he's reasoning with them, and the result is, after three weeks, some of them, some of the Jews, were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks were persuaded, And not a few of the leading women became believers. That was in Thessalonica. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up a mess, and they had to leave town, and poor Jason, who was hosting them, had to pay a fine, had to post bail, basically. So they go to Berea. Now, here's a completely different community and a different response. Verse 10, they immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That was their custom. The gospel is to the Jew first. These people were more fair-minded or more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So not only were they hungry for the word, but they were discerning with the word. Not only did they accept what they heard, but they tested what they heard with the word to see if it lines up. Therefore, the result was many of them believed. And who's of them? Referring to Jews. And also, not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul and Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds, and they had to send them away. So Paul goes to a third community in our text in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus. But not only in the synagogue, he's in the marketplace daily with just Greeks talking to them about Jesus. And on another Sunday, we'll look at that conversation, which is fascinating to me. So here we see a community that hears the word, they should know the word. The Bible is their Bible, the synagogues. The Old Testament was their Bible at the time. They read the Torah every week. They should, they should be familiar with the prophecies that were being proclaimed, but they rejected it in Thessalonica, but received it in Berea, and then not so much in Athens. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us from your word in such a way that 2018 will be different than 2017 for every person in this room because we will all, as you help us, be growing spiritually. Amen. Can everybody say grow? So today I'd like to speak to you in applying the text to our lives, the importance of Bible reading. Tell someone, read your Bible. Or have it read to you. Close-mindedness with biblical truth can slow us in yielding to God's will. 
I'll explain that after we look at the verse it relates to. Paul, as his custom was, Acts 17.2, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded after three weeks. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined What's going on here? They have just enough Bible knowledge to be immune to the real thing. Who knows what inoculation is? I understand the current flea vaccine. Flea vaccine. (laughs) Flu vaccine is only 10% effective, so I think I'm going to take my chances. But um, they inoculate you with a weakened form of what you're wanting to be protected against. Uh, The first, I'm not sure it's this way anymore, but the first smallpox vaccination was actually, they give you a dose of cowpox. And when your body overcame that, you had enough resistance to resist smallpox. Uh, Flu vaccinations, they give you a weakened form. Maybe they shatter the parts of a flu virus and then inject it in your body and your body adapts and overcomes that, it's able to resist the real thing. Some people have just enough biblical truth in their life to become immune to the real thing. How is that possible? Well, when you learn what you learn, and you close your mind and become unteachable, you've got it all figured out. Me and Jesus got my own thing going, or me and the Old Testament, we got it all figured out. Me and my rabbi, we know what's going on and we shut our minds down, we become closed-minded with biblical truth. Someone shares to you something the Word says, you say, yes, but this verse says, well, what about this verse? You know, if there's a contradiction there, we can't ignore contradictions. Somebody's misunderstanding something somewhere. And so the importance of Bible reading is it helps us continue learning. It helps us open our minds. Maybe you read the Bible through as a new believer and you haven't read it through again. Maybe you've closed your mind. Maybe the Lord has more understanding for us than we currently have if we will just continue reading the Word He can teach us. Not being familiar with biblical truth can make us vulnerable to error. Who knows that's true? Someone comes knocking on your door and tells you that Jesus and Satan are brothers and you don't know that the scriptures say otherwise, you might get misled and become part of a cult that preaches that. In our text today, verse 5 said, the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar. They were able to manipulate people without biblical knowledge into believing things that were not true. So Bible reading helps us not be led astray. Wait just a minute here. I'm not sure that we're to just accuse someone without any witnesses. Becoming familiar with biblical truth can make us open to blessings. Uh, Bible reading can actually 
bless you in that you realize God wants to bless you. In verse 11 of our text today, it says, These in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. What was the result? They were blessed. Many of them therefore believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. The Bible's not just for women, and it's not just for men. It's for us all, right? So being familiar with Bible truth makes us open to blessings. Being too familiar with biblical truth can hinder us in following Jesus. Now, this kind of ties back into my earlier point. But the reason I revisit it is sometimes people have a lot of Bible knowledge, a lot. Sometimes closed-minded people don't have much, and what they know, they think that's all they need. Some people have a lot, and knowledge in itself can become a substitute that robs us from reality because we stop being teachable. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Knowledge is good, but if it's replacing reality, it's not giving you all that you need. An example, you can read a book about marriage, memorize a book about marriage, know everything about marriage, but until you get married and apply that truth in your life, you're not experiencing the reality of the information that you know. Does that make sense? We can know all about the word, how many times the letter Tav is in the Old Testament, but if we don't know the God of the Old Testament, we've missed the point. Jesus is the point of the Scriptures. So our faith isn't in our knowledge. Our faith is in the one who gives us knowledge. And so sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, if I hear Isaiah 9, 6, one more time, our eyes glaze over when we hear something that we've heard before, and we're not teachable. Yeah, I, you know, I, John's 3.16, oh yeah. Uh, years ago, when um, Mark and Joey Gomez were new believers, uh, they were at a Bible study at Joe's house, right? And Mark was so excited. He found a scripture and wanted to read it to the group. And it was John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. And everyone in the room had fresh eyes to see that scripture through the eyes of a new believer. That, that's so good that we don't become so familiar with scriptures that we have a contempt for it and we don't regard it. Abiding in the words of Jesus is what makes us his true disciples. In John 8, he said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, if you reside in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We went to Lake Palestine for our vacation, but we do not abide at Lake Palestine. We learned some cool things there. We learned why it's 40 miles from 
Palestine, or over 20 miles, 20, 30 miles from Palestine. We thought Palestine, Texas was on Lake Palestine. No, a bunch of little towns in that community had the lake built, and then they all backed out on paying for it and stuck Palestine with the bill. So Palestine said, well, fine with you. We're naming it after us. And then years later, the state said, you can't own water. It belongs to the state and took it away from them. But they get a nice monthly check from the state for that water. So we enjoyed visiting Lake Palestine, but we do not abide there. We abide in Granbury. Some people visit the words of Jesus. But the truth lies in our being disciples is based upon abiding in his words. The next statement he makes says this, that abiding in the words of Jesus can make us free from wrong believing. Who knows the things you believe impacts how you behave. If someone calls me today and says my son was killed in a car wreck, and I believe it, even if it's not true, I would behave like it was true. I'd be bawling and squalling, saying, why God, and all this stuff we go through when tragedy comes against us. What we believe impacts our behavior, so our believing is important, but sometimes if we believe wrong, we will live wrong, right? Jesus continued with these words, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the freedom that we have is available to us because of the truth. And the truth that sets us free is the truth that we know. The truth that sets us free is the truth that we know. And the truth that we know is based on our continuing in that truth, abiding in the words of Jesus. So just to read your Bible just as the thing to do because you're a Christian every now and then, that's not the point. The point is following Jesus, right? Growing in knowledge and stature in him. So we want to abide in his words if we want to be his disciples. And if we want to be freed from wrong believing, we need to abide in his words. Hearing and doing Christ's words blesses us with a solid foundation. And we say strong. Jesus said in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built this house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So the rock is Jesus himself, but the benefits of the rock is our relationship to him. It's hearing what he says and acting on it. He goes on in this discourse, verse 26, by saying, and everyone who hears what I say and does not do what I say is like a person who builds their house on the sand. And when winds blow, floods come, rain falls, and hit that house, great is going to be its fall. So is he who hears my words and does not apply them. So abiding in the word, application of the word is so important. But before we can apply the word, we've got to know what the word is, right? So it begins with reading the word. And if you don't read much, then having it read to you. And we live in a day and time where there's all sorts of ways to hear the word. Everything from audiobooks to 
the apps, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Final point. Somebody said finally. Reading and or hearing the Bible would be a great thing to do in 2018. Who would agree with that? Oh, pastor, that would be so good, but if only I had the time. I'm glad you thought that. The American Bible Society did a survey back uh, five years ago in 2012, and it revealed that 85% of America's households own at least one Bible with an average of 4.3 Bibles per household. 69% of Americans believe the Bible provides answers on how to live a meaningful life. But you know, just sitting there on the bookshelf, just sitting there uh, on the coffee table doesn't bring life, does it? Dusting it off doesn't do a thing for you. It's the contents that has life change in it. Now, here's the bad news. They found that 26% of Americans never read the Bible, and only 10% read it less than once a year. 79% of those surveyed believe that they are knowledgeable of the Word, yet 54% of America's citizens are unable to identify the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Over half of America's citizens don't even know. And yet 79% say they're knowledgeable about the Bible. No wonder we had a press secretary a few years ago said, well, just like the good book says, God helps those that help themselves. 46% of Americans believe the Bible, the Quran, the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual why is that? People are not reading their Bibles. Survey participants also indicated their biggest frustration about reading the Bible was that they never had enough time. Who wished they had more time in life? Quartz Media is kind of a blogosphere uh, that disseminates articles and interesting information. It is not a Christian outfit. Uh, Charles Chu wrote an article attempting to encourage Americans to read. And he says that we all could read a couple hundred books a year is what he said. Keep in mind, he's not a Christian, but he says in the time we spend on social media each year, everyone could read 200 books. To read 200 books, all you need is 417 hours a year. <gasps> That's 10 work weeks. How is that possible? A single American, he said, consumes social media for 608 hours and television 1,642 hours. That's a total of 2,250 hours a year spent on television and social media. There's your Bible reading time. <laughs> He's not writing from a Christian perspective and offers challenging words to all of us as Americans and believers the simple truth behind reading books is not that hard. We have all the time we need. What we are ignoring is that most of us are too addicted or too weak or too distracted to do what we know is important. 
With that being said, in our day and time, publishing has just exploded. You've got all sorts of translations available. Uh, Bibles are given away everywhere, and you can buy them, and it's still the number one bestseller. And then you've got the internet, websites, and Bible apps galore. So in an effort to motivate, to encourage you, I'd just like to share uh, some apps you may find interesting. Maybe if you're not a reader, maybe if you are a reader, this is interesting. Download this. It's free if you have a smartphone. It's called Bible.is, or some people call it Bible.is. It's multiple translations of the Bible, hundreds of languages all over the world that are read to you audio. You can read along with it, or you don't have to. Some of the, some of the audio Bibles on this thing are dramatized with sound effects and actors. How hard is it to listen to something meaningful and life-changing? Now, I have an app mainly probably because I already had the program on my computer and I was familiar with it, but the, the eSword a free program for your computer, a Bible software. It's wonderful. And I enjoy it on my phone. And also the website I love now has an app called the Blue Letter Bible. Uh, last night I needed to go to bed because I wanted to get up early so I could come to church early to make sure the roads weren't icy. So to help myself sleep, I turned on the Blue Letter Bible and found a guy preaching from Acts 17 and fell asleep listening to this passage being taught. So hopefully I'm not knocking you out today. There's the version. The Gideons have a Bible app. There's all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, did you know that Gideons are now giving out a modern translation? They're no longer stuck with just the King James Version. Well, how come I didn't know that? Well, they have to be kind of low-key about it because the King James-only people get highly upset. So, Anyway, back to smartphones. So you, you've got this option. Now, me... I'm old school. I love having a Bible that doesn't have to have a battery recharged. I love being able to write on the paper and it's not jacking up my computer screen. You know, I, I just love, I love reading it and marking in it. And, you know, I'm old school like that. It's time to biblify. Tell somebody biblify. Most of the time I could pull myself together, but other days I still struggled with self-doubt, defeat, and loneliness. I thought I was coping, but in truth, I had been stuck for a long time. I couldn't shake my fears, doubts, shame, and guilt, so I talked to my pastor and he recommended Biblify. He said it would help with my anger, loneliness, inner turmoil, and the lust problem. He said people had symptom improvements in as little as two weeks. I wish I'd talked to him sooner. Now, I Biblify at least once daily, and I'm beginning to understand who I am in Christ. Biblify, unlike other remedies, is for everyone. If you experience changes in your mood, behavior, and thoughts, tell someone else about Biblify. Biblify can increase hope and peace in children, teens, young adults, and even the more mature. Note, there is an increased risk of more patience, kindness, fullness of life, and some people have even experienced a greater desire to serve others. Call your pastor today if your symptoms begin to fade. This might be a sign that joy is overwhelming you, and you may need to bless someone else. You may discover you have an uncontrollable urge to be happy. It's okay, because God is good. 
biblifying your life isn't just good for you, but it's good for others. This is one of our heroes in America. She'll appear on our currency soon. This is Harriet Tubman. You may not be familiar with her story. I recommend that you check her out. She worked as a spy for the government during the Civil War and was never caught. In moments of extreme danger, she demonstrated nothing but raw, calm courage because her life was biblified. She was born into slavery in the 1820s, nearly killed when her master hurled a metal object at her. She escaped in 1849 in her 20s and spent years rescuing hundreds of slaves out of slavery, helping them escape, leading them to safety. They called her Moses because she never lost a slave. They all made it to freedom. The South accused her of shooting those slaves that tried to go back home, but they were just lying. She became a secret agent, as I said, for the Union Army during the Civil War. Despite the bounty on her head, she always managed to escape capture. Now, you may not know she was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. She spent much of her time learning, memorizing, and meditating Scripture. One of her favorite scriptures was Isaiah 16.3 that says, Hide the fugitives. Do not betray him who escapes. She pondered the scripture. She turned scriptures into prayer. She told her biographer, I prayed all the time about my work everywhere. I was always talking to the Lord. When I would wash my face in a horse trough, I would take the water in my hands and say, Oh, Lord, wash me and make me clean. When I took up a towel to wipe my face and dry my hands, I would say, Oh, Lord Jesus, wipe away all my sins. When I took up the broom and began to sweep, I groaned, Oh, Lord, whatever sin there be in my heart, sweep it out, Lord, clear and clean. Can you say biblify? If we are going to continue the ministry of Jesus, if this is more than just a sermon series, but this is a vision for our lives, we must be biblified. So I shared a little bit on Bible apps. Check it out. Check with your friends. See what they're using. But if you're like me, you need a strategy if you want to do it. Just to have the discipline by itself It's not easy. I mean, if you read five chapters a day in less than a year, you will have read the Bible. It's not that bad. There's uh, 260 chapters in the New Testament. So if you just read the New Testament one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, by the end of the year, you will have read the New Testament. So in your bulletin today is a a five-day-a-week Bible reading program. The first page are the weeks numbered 1 through 52, and the dates were for those weeks. And inside are the days. Uh, check them off as you finish them. You know, the day one, which would be tomorrow, is Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, Psalm 19, and Mark 1. If you just want to read the New Testament, well, that's easy because it's here. Just read the New Testament books. They're written in italics in each week, the 52 weeks. I challenge you. Do it. Make a New Year's revolution resolution that you can fulfill. You can even, if you get on a roll, read ahead and just check off wherever you 
wherever you are. This is a system that works. Now, something that works for me is a, is a daily devotional Bible. The first one I did was, had notes in it from John MacArthur. So it had your assigned reading for each day, and then there were notes from John MacArthur. Um, that propelled me to move forward. I'll explain why in a minute. I have up here five copies of a daily Bible called the Devotional Daily Bible. Let me just open it here. It has, um, on May 30th, you would read 1 Kings 7 and 1 Kings 8. And then turning the page, you would read Psalm 68, seven verses from that psalm, two verses from Proverbs 17, and then John 11. And then at the end of that is two paragraphs of devotional thoughts. Now, how does, how does this additional reading propel you forward? Well, to be honest with you, there are some places in the Bible, if you're going to read the whole Bible, can get a little dry. Uh, the begets, as important as they are, that's somebody's name, that's historical record, you can kind of get lost in who begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and then all the details of building the tabernacle and some of the intricate laws the Jews in the Old Testament had to live by can get a little dry. And so you have the devotional thought to look forward to at the end of your reading for that day. So today's the last day of the year. If this appeals to you, I've got five copies here as we go back into worship in a few minutes. Come right on up and grab one. I have extras of these. If you didn't get a bulletin, you've got them in the foyer as well as if you need more than one copy. You've got extras of these five-day reading guides. Get a system. Do a discipline. Help yourself. Get an app that reads it to you. It will change your life. If you always do what you've always done, and yet you expect different results, what is that? That's called the definition of insanity. You know what a rut is? It's a grave without any ends. At least a grave has a head and a foot, right? But sometimes our lives are worse than graves. They're just unending routines without any fresh input. We just, our records get stuck and we loop and we just go around the same mountain whining about the same stuff over So we've shared that to say we don't have time to Bible reading, it's just a few minutes a day, is not really true. It's a matter of taking the time. And sometimes it's something as simple as a system. And I love this because you're able to check it off if you get away from it. Just go back to where you were. And it's just between you and God. And you just continue going. If you've ever felt condemned because you've not been reading the Bible, stop feeling condemned and just start reading the Bible. Let's do it. Can we do that? Lord, I pray that you would motivate us to uh, learn afresh, to have a fresh desire to grow spiritually. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a strategy of what's going to work for us. What's going to work for me may not work for someone else, but what works for us will work. And help us, Lord, to work it and glean insight and Lord, may conversations come out of our Bible reading this year that we would never have had. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. As we worship you, Lord, I pray you'd be honored.
ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praises, ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praises, ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praises, ever be on my lips, Father, the orphan. Your kindness makes us whole. Shorter of weakness, and your strength becomes our home. You're making me like you, clothing me white, bringing beauty for ashes. You have to have your life, free from all our guilt, rid of all our shame. And it's why I sing your praise. Ever be on my ever be on my your praise.
Timers. Have a great week. Happy New Year, and I'll see you next year.